The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, hoping you're staying warm and cozy this frosty winter. At least it's been chilly in my neck of the woods, and you know what? I'm totally fine with that because it is the way winter should be. Today, I'm so happy to bring you my conversation with Quill Robinson, the VP of Government Affairs at the American Conservation Coalition, the advocacy group for young conservatives that he co-founded with his pal, Benji Backer. Quill has such a fascinating background, which I can't wait for you to hear about. ACC is a vital part of the eco-right, and we are so fortunate to stand with these smart, driven advocates. So hang tight. Quill Robinson is coming right up. Welcome back, listeners. I'm sitting here virtually with my new friend, Quill Robinson. Quill, thank you so much for being on the show. Good to be here. So I know that um, ACC is a very good friend to the eco-right. You're our allies out there. I think of you as the kids, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, just you are around the same ages as my as my um, soon-to-be adult children, or one is already an adult. So um, it's sort of like how my aunt calls me and my cousin the kids, and we're in our 50s. <laughs> um, but it's so great to have that youthful enthusiasm working on clean energy and climate and conservation conservation and, you know, kind of that whole bundle of issues. But I thought you could take a moment for our listeners who aren't familiar with ACC to kind of talk about the group, how you came to be and what you're focused on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I do want to set the record straight on um, the kids note. I I actually at 26, I'm one of the gray hairs at ACC. So (laughs) at least in my own, my own space, I'm one of the, one of the older ones, but yeah, really, really great to be chatting with you today. Um, I guess, you know, sort of the, the brief background of ACC is we were we were founded back in 2017 by my friend and now boss Benji Backer. And uh, the goal was was pretty simple to give young conservatives a voice on environmental issues. Uh, as you well know, I think that I mean, less and less so, but the, the, the perception has been that um, one can't be a conservative and also a conservationist or environmentalist. And I think you know, particularly back in 2017, sort of at the <laughs> crescendo of Republican climate denial, um, that was, you know, a, a problem that we wanted to address. Uh, we would so often hear young folks say, look, I am, a, I am a conservative. I believe in limited government. I believe in free markets, but I'm liberal on the environment. And that was sort of odd to us because if you, you know, if you look back throughout uh, you know, throughout history, the, the conservation president was Teddy Roosevelt, a Republican. The right. founder of the EPA was Richard Nixon, a Republican, yes. the signer of the, I can, you know, I can go on and on here, right? Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, there's actually this kind of deep philosophical and well, and sort of literal connection, conservation, conservative um, of, there's, there's, there's this connection that exists. And so we realized that there was a huge market gap Um and that's what ACC was born into. We wanted to give young conservatives a voice on environmental issues uh, and sort of write the course within the Republican Party on the issue of climate in particular. And so um, 
we were very much a product of the social media era. I think a lot of us connected initially over social media. Um, and we were all college students at the time. Uh, and now today, about five years later, we have uh, activists in over 200 communities across the country, pretty much every single state. Um, you know, the grassroots is really our, our key focus. And I think what differentiates us in the eco right, we're really focused on um, having a presence in local communities on college campuses um, and talking about climate policy and environmental issues. But we also put a pretty big emphasis on local conservation action as well, because a lot of the headlines that you see um, about young climate activists or youth environmental activists, they're often protesting or um, out in the streets. Uh, and that's that's good and well. But, you know, I, I think environmentalism really starts with uh, getting your hands dirty and learning why you actually love and care about the environment. And so that's, you know, that's kind of a primary focus of ours is building out that grassroots network of young folks who generally identify on the right of center. Um, and then also, you know, here in DC, my role as vice president of government affairs, we spend a lot of time connecting with uh, legislators uh, talking about the importance of addressing climate change, but also kind of developing and discussing what some of those policy pathways and avenues and messaging can be um, to really solidify the, the progress that we've made over the last several years in terms of Republicans uh, rediscovering their conservation roots. And I think that we cannot overstate the impact that these younger Republican conservative voices have had in um, shifting the Republican Party. And you sort of pointed at 2017 as the crescendo of denialism. And that was around the time it, ACC was what, 2016, 2017? 2017. Was when, okay, yeah. it was when you were founded. So I do really credit your involvement and going to the Hill and, and being able to speak in a language that is fami familiar to lawmakers. But also I look at your generation and you are the largest voting block. So like what you say matters. And I know that people can be really dismissive of young voters, right? They're not reliable or they're always liberal. And, and that is not, you know, neither of those things are the case, <laughs> I think, especially not in the social media age. Um, you know, my kids are way more aware about politics and elections than I was at their age. And I think that it's because we have access to so much news. It's not, you know, when I was growing up, my parents always watched the world news tonight with Peter Jennings. I totally just dated myself. And today you don't have to, right? You, um, you didn't, you didn't have Twitter. You didn't have Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I probably was a little bit mentally more healthy because I didn't have Twitter when I was. Fair enough. Um, but I do think that you have that, you know, you do have this great impact and, so you did you meet Benji on social media or did you guys go to college together? How how did these minds come together to create ACC? Yeah, well, I, I mean, again, actually, as the as the gray hair of the organization and sort of the boomer at heart, um, I actually didn't meet Benji on social media. We went to um, the University of Washington in, in Seattle together and um, we got connected through environmental politics circle there, circles there. Um, I actually, I had worked in uh, 2016, an interesting political year, on a ballot initiative in Washington state. I, I was born and raised in Seattle, um, interestingly enough to um, kind of crunchy granola parents, you know, Subaru Outback, farmer's markets on Sundays, mom's yeah. a yoga teacher, whole nine yards. Um, but I got- You're Alex P. Keaton. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely heard that <laughs> one before. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I had gotten involved with environmental politics in, in 2016 and worked on this ballot initiative called I-732, um, the Revenue Neutral Carbon Tax, which I'm sure is familiar to, to folks in the, um, the eco-right space. And 
that was a really formative experience for me. I think I would consider myself sort of moderate at that point, maybe even a little bit left-leaning. And I'd gone into it thinking that, uh, well, there was one side that accepts the science on climate change and supports climate action. And then there's the other side that doesn't think climate change is an issue. Um, I came out the other side of that election with very a very, very different view of climate politics. Um, I had, you know, it was it was interesting. So what attracted to me was what what attracted me to this campaign was that it was it was bipartisan. Um, you know, revenue neutral carbon tax. You had activists and business leaders sort of uniting a, a, around it. But the the result was that uh, the ballot initiative actually performed about ten points lower than Hillary Clinton did in Washington State. Right. And that couldn't solely be blamed on Republicans and evil oil companies. In fact. Uh, the Sierra Club and Bill McKibben's 350.org and a lot of progressive environmental environmentalists had said either it doesn't go far enough or it doesn't do enough for environmental justice, so on and so forth, sort of making the perfect the enemy of the good. And I realized that that wasn't just an anomaly. That was sort of a pattern on the part of the left. Uh, and that just led me to completely rethink um, you know, how we're actually going to make real progress on this issue of climate change. And that's what initially drew me to ACC. I found myself kind of more amenable to the conservative worldview and also realized that, well, Republicans certainly had a long way to go on climate change that perhaps like I just kind of thought that that was like the greatest opportunity for progress in the climate movement and that we could actually build a really, you know, substantial and energetic coalition around that. And so, yeah, Benji had started the organization a couple of months ago. I met him and I said, you know, hey, sign me up, sign me up. What can I do? And yeah, so almost five years later, now I'm I'm here in D.C. and uh, ACC is a nationwide organization. So that's how that's how these things go. But I would say so. Let me or let me ask rather than say, is ACC a young organization because of this presence that you mentioned on can on on college campuses and because you all were young and college students when you founded it, or will it kind of grow as you grow? So. You know, if you will, you at some point find, you know, other kind of older constituencies to pursue or is the the growth plan to always focus on colleges. And then maybe at some point you will move on and go work on the hill or run for office or do something else that's wonderful. And someone else will kind of slide into your space who's a little more at the, the age that you're currently recruiting membership from. Sure. Well, I mean, I think, well, we are, we're all college students at that point, and um, that's kind of our core constituency. You know, we've expanded it a bit now, sort of 18 to 35 is our target demographic. Okay. I think ACC will continue to be a, a young person's organization. I think that's our unique contribution to the eco-right space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of going back to something that you said earlier, we found that in terms of advocacy and moving the ball politically, that our unique value add was that, you know, rather than having, you know, no offense to any listeners who are like a blue haired yeah. progressive activist from New York City, try to convince an Arkansas Republican that they should care about climate change, that actually having a college Republican that's perhaps from that from a conservative area who maybe even has worked on that members campaign has a lot more legitimacy going into that office and, and yeah. having a dialogue rather than sort of an accusation towards that member. And so that's that's sort of always been our, our secret sauce in terms of our success with political advocacy. Um, and, you know, I, we'll, we'll continue to be a, a young person's organization, but I think that, um, you know, our strength is that, and this has already happened over the last several years, is that we have folks who get involved in college, you know, who graduate, they continue to stay involved, but then they end up working on the Hill or yeah. for a partner organization or yeah. running for local office. You know, we've had those things happen. And I think that's really the strength is that we're not, um, 
that we're, we're sort of training up the next generation of center-right leaders uh, on environmental issues. And I think that that's really what's going to lead to the, the, the greatest success here. And we really need that. We need that. And I'm so happy that you're out there doing that. And, you know, for those who um, turn, you know, 35 and decide that they need to graduate to a different organization, they can come to Republic EN. So <laughs> our membership skews a little bit older, but um, I, I wanted to ask, so you talk about the Hill and the value of the Hill, and I know things are a little different with the pandemic and in the old days, you used to just be able, you know, sometimes I would just walk around the Senate and, or go have a coffee and cups and see who I might run into without even having a specific meeting. And, and we don't have that same sort of, um, those same opportunities now with the pandemic, but do you find it easier or harder to get in with members? Are they pretty receptive when you um, say, you know, ACC is coming in and do you try to bring to those meetings members that come from the district or state that that lawmaker is representing? Sure. So, you know, we haven't been able to do large scale fly-ins like we were able to do ahead of, you know, before the pandemic, unfortunately. Um, you know, but I, I, I spent my first, uh, my, my pre-pandemic days here in DC, I was sort of dropped here by the organization and <laughs> tried to figure it out as I, as I, as I went. And, you know, we were lucky to build up a lot of really good relationships with members, um, established members, but then also, you know, with our political work around elections, we've had some, you know, fantastic folks who came in, particularly in 2020, like Peter Meyer and Nancy Mace and Maria Salazar, who we'd worked with on the campaign trail, They've come into office and really established themselves as leaders on environmental issues in Congress now. And so, yeah, I mean, we've been, it's not the same as it used to be. I'm not doing nearly as many meetings, um, you know, in the congressional office buildings, but definitely continuing to grab coffee, you know, have folks over to our office here in D.C. Um, and kind of build, maintain, continue those relationships with Hill offices. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the nature of advocacy, I think, has, has shifted uh, since the pandemic. But... Uh, luckily with things like Zoom and, um, you know, using, using that as a tool, we've been able to kind of keep those relationships strong and keep pushing, you know, keep on, on moving forward. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. What are you looking forward to? What are your goals for 2022? Do you see some really um, some good prospects on the horizon for enacting any um, legislation or are you looking kind of more long term? Well, I think that 2021, I mean, we have to look back in what, at what happened in 2021 to understand what we're going to be focused on this year. And man, 2021 was a, was a breakthrough year for this movement. Um, we started the year in February by hosting a, a retreat out in Utah with 25 um, Republicans from the House to sit down and have that uncomfortable conversation uh, about climate change. We did that in partnership with uh, John Curtis, who's been a really good ally of ours. And from that came the Conservative Climate Caucus, which is now one of the largest caucuses in, in Congress, which like pinch myself, that's amazing. I know, I, I know. I it's crazy. Imagine that back in <laughs> more than 70 <laughs> members. It's yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. It's, yeah. it's remarkable. And I never could have imagined that back in 2017. I mean, as you know, you could count the number of Republicans on one hand who would be willing to actually sit down and have that conversation about climate change. So that was hugely significant. So I think that shows the, um, the shift in terms of willingness to engage on the issue of climate change. But then you also had leader McCarthy's climate plan that he unveiled and, you know, that, uh, involved over 30 different bills that uh, kind of attack climate change from different angles that 
uh, I think will make up the sort of the, the skeleton of the Republican approach if and when they take back the House uh, for 23. Um, and so I, it was it was really a remarkable year in terms of uh, seeing that shift that we've that has slowly been happening over the last several years. It really happened in a big way in 2021. Um, so in terms of this year, you know, we're going to be doing all that we can to protect those members and, and make sure those members who are reelected uh, are reelected, who have been champions on these on these issues. We're going to be talking to uh, the folks who are now ranking members who will likely be chairs of relevant committees like Bruce Westerman, Kathleen Morris-Rogers, um, Frank Lucas, et cetera. And then, you know, really holding Republicans accountable and saying, like, thank you for everything that you've done. Keep it up. And we're looking forward to actually um, moving legislation uh, next Congress, because I think that they've responded. And now we have a really unprecedented opportunity to actually show what Republican leadership on climate legislation looks like. Well, I was really um, so astonished, but also thrilled when I saw Mr. Curtis um, found this um, conservative caucus and so thankful for you guys in orchestrating that retreat and sort of getting the ball rolling. And I just remember something that he said kind of in the um, um, aftermath of those announcements. And there was some um, criticism that some of the members on the caucus weren't, you know, had never really engaged in climate change before. And I always look at that and think, well, you have to start somewhere, right? Not everyone walked into Congress on their first day with climate change as their number one priority. And rather than looking at where someone was and where they are now, I think it's more important to focus on where they are now and how you continue to groom them and help them come to understand the issue. And so now Mr. Curtis said, give us a year. Like, look at where we are in a year. Don't look at where we are now. Look at the numbers. The number is impressive, as you said, large, one of the largest caucuses, if not the largest caucus um, in Congress. But there is this opportunity. It's about an enthusiasm to engage, right? And so we have to tap into that enthusiasm. We can't just put people in boxes and say, you've never introduced a climate change bill or co-sponsored a climate change bill or uttered the words climate change. So we're never going to talk to you. We don't grow that way. Our movement doesn't grow that way. And so I just think it's great to, to see people wanting to get in the game. It's, you know, it's the most important issue, I think, of our of collect our collective generations, for sure. Absolutely. And I, I think that um, we've seen the failure of making climate change a purity test yes. um, by how progressives have gone about this issue, right? Yeah. I mean, it's even, uh, you're seeing this among the among Democrats, right? If you if you demand unanimity on an issue, you're not going to get very far. Right. And so I think that that's something that, well, two things. I think that, um, you know, first of all, just in, in terms of getting more Republicans engaged, let's not use purity tests here and let's welcome any movement, whether it's large or small. And then also understanding that, uh, you know, both in terms of rhetoric, but also in terms of policy, actually having a diversity of approaches is a is a boon. Uh, to what we're trying to do here, and I, I, I was, I always think about um, Congressman Westerman from from Arkansas and how he's approached this issue. He is from a ruby red district in the South, and um, you know he talks about climate change openly. He, he's happy to discuss that issue, but the way that he has established himself as a leader on this issue is by talking about something that, or an angle on climate policy that resonates with his district and is true to his lived experience. He is a forester by trade, the only one in Congress. So what he talks about is trees. 
Yes. And the role that trees and forestry can play uh, in sequestering carbon and keeping the economy strong as well in his district. And it's worked for him. And so I think there's a there's a lesson to be learned from that and understanding that um, actually having tons of different members talk about it and you know talk about the issue of climate change in different ways is hugely beneficial. So if a Texas member wants to talk about how natural gas is cleaner than coal, great. If um, a Florida member wants to talk about blue, car blue carbon, fantastic. If you know a member from Washington state, my home state wants to talk about hydro, that's great as well. And you know yeah. all of that collectively, all of those different unique approaches are going to make sure that we have a dynamic approach to climate change um, but also that they can keep stay grounded in the like the worldview and the concerns of the folks in their district, because that's what they're ultimately supposed to be doing as as right. representatives. And so I, I think that that's a really promising model and that's going to continue to build towards success. Yeah. And I think that we are seeing these members, like you uh, mentioned, Nancy Mace, and we went out on the water with her. We Republic EN um, earlier, I was going to say earlier this year, we're now in 2022. Last year, we went out on the water with her. And that kind of thing is impactful, right? Because we are in her district looking at real impacts there at home. And so there's a connection that happens when you are either seeing climate change through that lens, through the lens of your profession or your interest, maybe you're a national security expert. And so you look at the issue from that way or, or you um, identify very strongly with your faith. And so you look at the issue from that way. And I, I think you're right. The more of these different perspectives we have, the richer the movement is, right? We have all this like kind of diversity of thought or as Bob would say, um, a marketplace of ideas. And sure. that marketplace of ideas is really important. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, to that point, perhaps the, the greatest thing that we as conservatives can bring to this conversation is this understanding of the, the importance of like the local, the known, the home. Um, we all care about polar bears and are concerned about the ice caps to varying degrees, but that's kind of failed as um those are sort of failed as like the, the the reason for people to care about climate change, right? It's too because abstract, it's right? Too abstract. It's yeah. so far away, right? Even in our globalized world today, it's still, you know where polar bears live is still pretty far away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, for me personally, the reason that I care about climate change, frankly, it isn't about polar bears. It's about wanting to teach my future kids to ski and fly fish where my parents taught me in Washington yeah. State yeah. in the Cascade Mountains. That's why I care about the environment. Um, and I think that that's something very powerful that we can tap into and champion this sort of like localism first uh, approach to climate change. Uh, and, and that it doesn't limit climate policy to the local, but I think that that's a much more authentic and powerful emotional way to come at this issue and to bring more people into the conversation. The way that um, one of my favorite authors, uh, Roger Scruton, he called it oikophilia, the love of home. I think that's the really authentic, powerful um, you know, contribution that conservatives have to this conversation about the environment. And it's not limited to conservatives either. I think that progressive, you know, folks from across the political spectrum, if they tap into that, if they talk about, you know, climate solutions that resonate with local people and connect their uh, local environments, that's really going to create a, a powerful and durable climate movement. Well, 
I am hopeful and encouraged. And I also want you to be able to teach your future kids to fly fish and ski in the places that you love and just look forward to continuing to watch ACC grow and your influence get stronger. For those listeners who may want to join ACC or know somebody who might be in that age bracket of 18 to 35, how can they find you or how, how can they get involved? Easy. Just go to acc.eco, acc.eco. Um, it's easy to become a member, completely free. Uh, we have uh, you know a, a bunch of different offerings from our Market Environmentalism Academy, if you're interested in learning more about different policy issues, uh, to uh, trainings about how to write an op-ed or do advocacy. Um, and then also, you know, we're a young organization too. We're a bunch of Zoomers and, and young millennials. So definitely follow us on social media for occasionally some substantive uh, policy issues, but also some funny memes and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. Please they tweet a lot about bees, listeners. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> we're we're all bee. fans of bees. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time and for all you do. And uh, here's to a successful 2022. Thanks so much for having me. Price, here we are again, wrapping up episode two, season four, right back into the swing of things, just like we didn't have a six-week hiatus. Uh, that's exactly right. Love having Quill Robinson on, a new face and voice from ACC. So thank you to Quill and their entire team. Uh, you know, He laid it out, what, what ACC does. Kind of similar to what we do in some regard, except they are the much younger variety, although yes. he calls himself the old man of the team, which is <laughs> certainly not. Well, but, and, and I do um, think that this idea, even though our policy goals are a little different, right, and how we go about things, yeah. we're grassroots, and they, um, you know, there there are some differences, but I do think that when you're 36 and you've aged out of ACC, you can come to republicen.org. And honestly, you can be members of both organizations at the same time. Lots of people do it. And it's just great as we have been reflecting a lot, Price, um, just to pull the veil back a little bit for our listeners. Our team has been reflecting mm -hmm. on what this movement is and the eco-right. And as we go through that um, reflection process, just <laughs> seeing how the movement has grown in the last five to six years, seven years. <clears throat> and it used to be that we were one of the lone organizations and now they're all over the place. And that's great. We need more allies. We need, um, you know, the more of us in the game, the better chance we have of winning. Is that a good sports analogy? Yeah. I know you're a sports analogy guy. I think that is uh, spot on Chelsea Henderson, because, you know, the more of it takes a team and not just one team, one organization, it takes an army to often move the ball down the field. It takes an army of players on a team. You say, well, there's only 11 in the game, but there's a lot more on that sideline that have something to do with it. So, you know, like you said, I mean, when we started, it was we were Lone Rangers out there. Now we've had so many other eco right groups come on the scene and win we get legislation passed that is binding and not done you know through a bunch of you know clunky government regulatory you know methods and solutions it's going to be a lot of us that are going to take some credit it's not going to be just us acc and others we're all have going to have had a a large hand in this because it, it it ultimately is a team effort all kind of doing different things so we're all going to be able to celebrate in this it's just a matter of when but we will get to that 
that wind. We are going to get there because movement is going and trending in the right direction, as we have said, and many of our guests have articulated, as Quill did, you know, most recently just on this episode. That's right. And so listeners, I hope you had your listening ears on. I know sometimes I admit it, I'm listening to a podcast, I'm cooking dinner, I'm driving. I might space out for a second and miss something, but I hope you had your listening ears on because next week there will be a question about last week's episode, a question about this week's episode, and a question about next week's episode. So three in one, And there will be a chance to win a $25 Amazon gift card. If you correctly answer all three, your name will be entered into a drawing. We'll pick one winner from all of the winners or all of the right answers. And uh, so stay tuned. We'll have more instructions on how to do that in episode three, which will be the third, the last episode from which we will draw a question. After that, it'll get easier. And all the questions will be from that particular week's episode. We just, this is a little bit of way of playing catch up and, and, you know, making sure that you're listening. So we're checking in on you and uh, holding you accountable, holding your ears accountable. $25 gift card is very easy to win. A lot of our loyal listeners, I'm sure, listen every week, chomping at the bit. It's going to be, we're going to make it easy for you. We're going to release more details on how you're going to get your three answers in. We will do that next week on episode three when it drops. But just get ready. If this is your first episode that you've listened to, go back and especially listen to last week's episode, which is episode one of season four. Go back and listen to that one closely. So you'll be ready to get your answers ready and submit. It's not going to be the first one that submits. Any Everybody that submits their answers and gets all three right, then we will pick the random winner. But you need to go back and listen to these first three episodes. So get ready. It will be starting next week, $25 coming your way, just simply for listening to the Eco Right Speak. You get paid to listen. That's that's right. It is like a way of paying people to listen. And you know what I would buy if I had a $25 gift card? I don't shop at Amazon that often. Um, Just a little thing that I have. I try when I can to support local businesses. So I do all my book shopping at a local bookstore and so on and so forth. But my son and I, Jack and I are both obsessed with like fancy pens, like, and they're not even really that fancy. I have one in my hand. Price and I are on Zoom, so he can see it. But they're made in Japan and they're called like a Muji pen and UJI. Mm-hmm. And I love them. And they're a little bit of a splurge. And then I buy them. And then Jack, who's home for the holidays still because his um spring semester start got delayed because of COVID, he steals them from me. <laughs> So I would just buy a bunch and give some to him and some to me. My other little pen obsession while I'm geeking out is Le Pen. Um, they come in so many mm-hmm. colors. So I have my fun notebooks and I'm always taking notes. I don't, I'm not very artistic, but it is a way of me feeling artistic. So that's what I would buy with my $25. And um, I'm super excited to see how many people participate in this contest. Very cool. Yes, it will be starting next week, folks. So don't miss it. Um Also, don't miss signing up, republican.org forward slash join. You can join us right there online, republican.org forward slash join. And also, make sure if you're interested in an event, having somebody from our team participate, we would love to do so. Just drop me or Chelsea a line, uh, price at republican.org, chelsea at republican.org. Very easy. Final plug, listeners, download, listen, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts myriad of ways that I'm sure that you all listen to your podcast. 
But just go and search Eco Right Speaks and hit subscribe. You'll have it delivered right to your device, whatever that is, every single week as we come to you with a new episode dropping on Tuesdays. So that is my entire spiel, Chelsea Henderson. Just noting, though, for listeners, program note that next week, though, for episode three, we might come at you a day late um, between the holiday and some travel prices coming back from the Olympics. And we want to give him a little leeway so that he's not getting off that plane and going right into the studio, which I know you could do. I know you would do it, but I like to give you a little bit of time to, you know, hug your family and maybe go to sleep for 12 hours or something. But hoping that you have a wonderful time and a wonderful experience there and can't wait for you to come back and to recap episode three and get the contest rolling. We'll have more details on exactly how you're going to enter your submissions. Um, for ep- Once we hit episode three, we'll have our, our internal infrastructure in place to make it possible. And until then, Price, safe travels and we'll see you for episode three. But fingers crossed. We will see you next week, Chelsea. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.